Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. Welcome to Group Talk. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Carolyn Takeda. I'm your host and executive director of small groups at Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California. Well, a while ago, a small group leader who leads a mixed group of married and singles, mostly divorced people of a similar age group, kind of middle age, shared that she did not feel competent or comfortable to lead the group any longer. And when I asked her why, she just said, I feel so overwhelmed by the needs in this group. Um, so when I asked what happened, because she'd been leading a while, she said the group had recently added two people who were going through a divorce, and it just totally changed the dynamics of the group. So as it turned out, they were spending increasing amounts of time on caring for these hurting people um, who are going through these incredibly difficult circumstances. And over time, it kind of wore on the other members. Um, there was less focus on the Bible study or even other people's issues. And so she was just really torn between wanting to support and encourage these two people going through these challenges. But then she's like, I'm not a divorce support recovery group, but they need help. Um, is, aren't we supposed to be supporting each other? And so she was just so confused. And the lines had gotten blurred between support group and regular group, and there's all this tension. And, you know, I, I think regular small groups, uh, which most of us lead, are often challenged by the role of caring for people in crisis or even to deeper emotional needs uh, for different seasons or even for a long time. And so over the years, I've really wrestled with this and in counseling her and so many other leaders about what is the role between small groups and support groups? How do we support people and care for people in our small groups in ways that are healthy, but we don't become therapists for them? Um, and they do have different purpose and dynamics. So on today's podcast, we're going to explore these questions and talk about what are the benefits of support groups that we can learn from? What's the dangers to watch out for? How do we keep small groups on track? And what are some triggers that leaders should be watching out for? Um, just kind of all the issues surrounding what it means to care and support people in our groups. And so I am so glad to have with me on the program is a therapist-turned-pastor, John Noto. Thank you, John, so much for being on Group Talk. Absolutely, Carolyn. It's great to join you today. Yes, the added bonus of John is that not only is he a pastor who serves as a community life pastor at one of Willow Creek Community Church's regional campuses in the Chicago area, um, and she's been doing that for six years, coordinating discipleship and pastoral care, which totally makes sense given your background. So you bring your insights as a therapist to unite both ministries. And, and prior to serving at Willow, John was a clinical therapist in a variety of settings, including private practice and community mental health. Um, John also writes for online publications. If you've been on Small Group Network, Com. You've seen his um, postings on there. He writes great articles for that, along with smallgroups.com and careleader.org, along with his own website, unwavering.com. So, John, I've got to ask you this before we dive into our conversation. Um, what was the, the impetus to change from being a therapist to being a, a pastor? <laughs> it's funny you ask that. So, really, there's, there's two main reasons around that. Uh, one, if you go back in my story, it's really interesting um, I was raised Catholic and kind of um, left the church, so to speak, in college, as as many of us do. 
Um, but then kind of found my faith again in a non-denominational church, actually in Willow Creek. Uh, so there was specifically a time in my life when I felt like this faith thing is so important to me. Maybe I should go into the church. Um, and I can tell you exactly where I was. I was at Loyola University's Lakeshore campus. And all of a sudden, um, a flock of seminary students walked past me with the white collars <laughs> preparing, you know, for the priesthood. And, uh, and I was dating my now wife at the time. And I literally had the thought, oh, if, oh so let's see, wife or ministry? <laughs> I chose wife. So I went into psychology instead. So that's, that's so humorous. great. Um, but also, you know, I love psychology. I'm very passionate about it. I'm passionate about this topic we're talking about today because I think both the church and the world of psychology can learn so much from each other. Um, and working in private practice, uh, it just, there was that element that was missing to me, and it was the element of the open doors. Um, as long as uh, money is involved and insurance is involved, there's so many roadblocks and barriers and challenges, even in a Christian practice where I was, uh, that it just it can never operate like the church. That's why sure. churches and counselors need each other. Um, and uh, my heart was drawn towards the church, and I ended up in a part-time role while I was in practice, which grew and grew and grew, and here I am today. <laughs> and here you are. Oh, that's a great story. You know what I love? As you were talking, I was thinking about how much um, the churches have have grown, and we still have ways to go, but in the area of valuing Christian counseling, valuing yes. therapy, I think when I was growing up, it was kind of like, no, you, you just pray more, and you take care of the spiritual side, and everything else will work out, but I think we've gotten so much wiser about the interactions and the intersections between those two and kind of the whole person. Um, and so it's it's so great to see, you know, kind of that juxtaposition come together in the church because, you, as you said, both pieces have so much to offer and we're stronger when we have it together. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so we're talking about both pieces today, which is the intersection of your world. Um, so let's start off by talking about the definition. Like, how would you define a support group? Yeah, this is an important um, kind of we have to take a step back and really look at defining terms before we even talk about anything. Because if you're talking to somebody in the church world uh, or if you're talking to somebody in the counseling world or if you're talking to somebody in the recovery world, we all have different jargon and it's very different. And we know working in the church that uh, the church is not free of jargon. We probably have the most jargon. So really, for me, I categorize it into three different types of groups, um, outside of the church and in the church. Um, so these are broad categories. The first one is, you know, for lack of a better word, I use the word comforting, a comforting group, meaning it's solely a place to come and share and have a sounding board and a group of people to express to. So this is uh, your grief support, or a lot of times in the community you'll have uh, caretakers, people with limiting right. uh, you know, illnesses, and so long-term caretakers have support groups where they come together. So that's one type of support group is, is for comforting, and it's kind of a landing place. Um, another type is uh, what I'll call like a healing group. Okay. This is where something's wrong. Uh, there's an issue that we need to resolve and, and kind of get back to baseline. So this would be um, either a recovery group, a 12-step group, group therapy falls in this category where there's a mental illness or there's some factor in life that we need to kind of adjust and get back to baseline. And then this third camp of group, which, which is where I think the church has a lot to offer, is a growth group. And this is where, you know, our primary purpose, it doesn't mean it's the only thing that's happening, but the primary purpose is taking people who are at 
a baseline, so to speak, and helping them to do and say and think things they haven't done before. Um, so in, in kind of counseling world, that would be considered coaching. This is where we, we bring even another kind of factor in is, is how do we help somebody be more than they were six months ago or a year ago? So in the church world, you know, we have, we see that mirrored, um, and small groups, Bible studies, things that we talk about end up in that third category, that growth group. That's a really good distinction. So, um, so in the church, we have the same three, right? So com- the comforting groups, that would be like your divorce recovery, um, your grief support, that's kind of special needs families, that sort of mm-hmm. thing, with that being the primary, right? And then, um, what did you call it? Recovery versus fixing? I guess that's, fixing's kind of a weird word, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yes. Fixing is a weird word. So yeah, you can look at it. Comforting. Addictions? Uh, fixing or healing and growth. Um, addictions is really, um, that's going to land in that middle section, that healing group. Um, you know, we're saying with, uh, an addiction, whatever it is, and, and, um, you know, kind of right. with the celebrate recovery movement sure. with a lot of this, we've, we've widened that umbrella, which is great, uh, for the recovery culture. Um, you know, that's when we're saying we're getting together and we're saying there's something, you know, a factor in my life, a relationship in my life, um, a pattern in my life that is uh, addictive and is causing a loss of function or pain or brokenness, really. And so we're attempting to um, walk with one another through finding healing in that. Um, Yeah, you mentioned the word fixing. Um, You know, uh, like uh, when we're talking about this healing, bringing back to baseline, I think we can, um, especially in the church world, I think we can get a little mixed up where, um, what what is fixing? What is healing? Um, what does that mean? And we get a little weird around setting goals and getting specific. Um, that's what I've found in in church world. Sometimes the more specific we try to get, that's when um, we have disagreements around what actually we're trying to go for. Um, but there's a lot of benefit in that too, because until we name something. Right. Uh, we're not actually going to have as much positive momentum as we want. Right. And well, the challenge, of course, is that th- these three categories don't stay in neat little boxes. Um, mm-hmm. they, ca- they can sometimes merge in someone's life and therefore in their group, right? So um, yeah. you would, would agree, of course, that support and encouragement is part of every healthy small group, and we're encouraged mm-hmm. to do that. Scripture is very clear. So how how do small groups do this that's different than what a... Uh, support group, whichever category they are, within a support group can. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's it's of the utmost importance for us to define purpose. Um, and and I don't think any group life director, or group life point person would disagree with that point. Um, but I do think that a lot of us have a challenge in what we actually do with that and how <laughs> how that comes about in our ministry. And you know, so purpose, vision is you know high level importance because if we don't have that dialed in and it doesn't mean it has to be narrow but it does mean that we have to have thought well about what is the purpose of a small group what is the purpose of this recovery group or this support group um you know it doesn't there is no right or wrong answer uh, a blanket answer but each of us in our own ministry in our own context in our own church there is a right and wrong answer and so that's why we with our teams have to um i think just with laser focus uh, define that so a small group it, it depends on your church you know is the primary purpose of small group bible study 
is the primary purpose of a small group spiritual growth. If it is spiritual growth, how do you define spiritual right, growth? Right. You know, and that's when we kind of enter this whole um, category of uh, kind of spiritual health assessments, things like that. A lot of people have tried to put handles on that um, for very good purposes. And whatever handles we decide to use, mm-hmm. it's just important that we have handles because. Otherwise, like you said, we can kind of end up going 10 degrees in the wrong direction for a long time, and we end up in a completely different spot, and we find ourselves in a bind. You know, that's the tricky part, right? Because most of us probably, um, maybe I shouldn't say that, a lot of us have oversight over um, small groups, which may or may not um, include support groups. Mm-hmm. In my role um, at our size church, support is in a different department. Um, you sit in the middle of both of those. You oversee both of those. But I think a lot of our, our listeners probably um, have both of them in their buckets too, which mm-hmm. means then do you, you know, how do you draw those boundaries? And, and one of the things I think would be good to talk about is you know, even if you have a regular small group, however way our churches define that, you know, I think there's some really great stuff for us to learn from support groups, John. Like, you know, it just seems like there's more more transparency maybe there's more vulnerability i mean what are some things you've seen that support groups do well in terms of not the actual content but in terms of how they run um, and how they care for each other yeah you're talking about an important distinction of we'll talk about sometimes process versus content uh the content is different arguably the content of any small group or any type of group compared to another is different but the process is different too and that's what we want to learn from um I think it is it is a tension to hold to oversee discipleship ministry and pastoral care ministry together, um, but it is truly a gift because I think these two ministries can benefit uh, so much from one another uh, in that the way God moves in either one um, is is something we can learn and grow from if we're if we're sitting in the other seat if that makes sense. Sure. Um, so what I love about uh, our support groups, we call we kind of brand them as our pastoral care workshops at our church in our context, um, is like you said, there's an authenticity and transparency. transparency. Um, when you walk into a divorce recovery room and there's a bunch of small groups of people who are there, most of the people not wanting to be there, sure. but, but having um, developed the courage to be in that room, um, there's a transparency there because you're not going to keep a lot behind, you know, that, that veil that we often have. Right. And, right. And so I, it's a gift for me to be part of that ministry because I know what that authenticity can look like. And additionally, um, I feel like I have insight to the fear that probably most of us have walking into a normal small group and sure. we just don't show it as much. So that's one authenticity. Um, I think too, uh, there's an intimacy that happens in these groups. Um, when you share, sometimes I call it the deepest, darkest, you know, with right. somebody. Well, when you're so broken, like in an overt way versus yeah. we're all broken. But yeah. when you've had life has happened so, you know, differently than you had hoped and it's just a mess. I think you have a openness, right? Because really yeah. you need help and you can't hide. Yes. And 
And the beauty of a support group or a recovery setting is that people walk in and that's their understanding. Mm. When I walk into a small group for the first time and somebody's beautiful living room and everybody yes. looks you know, happy and is holding their Bible and their coffee. It's a Facebook group. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easy to believe that everyone there has their stuff together. Um, and what you find out, the beauty of group life ministry, that's why we're all involved in it, is, is that actually you spend a year with these people, you realize we're all a mess. Of uh, you know, we all need Jesus and we all need each other. Um, but but the fun part of a support group is that understanding happens in five minutes, not in five months. <laughs> so it's like fast forward. You just speed yes. through the superficial stuff really quick. It absolutely is. And as a result of that, uh, you know, I think another element that you have is there's a camaraderie in support groups because when you've shared these painful things and seeing healing and see God work in that. Um, you know, I always joke, our recovery ministries laugh more than any other ministry in the church. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, like crazy. And it's because they're, they're teammates. They support each other, right? They're, they're doing hard work together and that's understood. And so they work hard and they laugh hard and it's, and it's beautiful thing to see. So I think our small groups could definitely, um, learn a lot from that. Do you think sometimes um, the recovery type groups, uh, the support groups, um, do they ever get stuck like in just in that mode where you just kind of marinate in that one brokenness in your life and that issue over and over again? Do you ever like kick people out and say, okay, you've gone through, <laughs> just going to divorce recovery two years now, it's time to move on, or just let people take it at their own pace? Oh, it's, it's so case by case, but in general... Um, that is, I mean, you talk to any pastoral care person, um, and they can name, you know, a handful of people who fall in that category. They are, the names start popping into my head right, when right. you talk about that. Um, and the same, I think, is true in any ministry. But, but what happens is, in a, in a care ministry, because it's in that middle category of healing, of fixing, it's noticeable when somebody just hangs out. You know, whereas I think any of us could name a lot of people who go to Bible, you know, they're yes. serial Bible study attenders <laughs> and <laughs> have studied the book of John 15 times with all these different right. people and haven't grown. And they're just as stuck. Yeah. Yeah. They're just as stuck. It just, I think it manifests in a little bit of a different way. And so it's a little more, you have a gut check feeling when somebody does that kind of in a support setting. That's a great point. Um, because again, you know, it's not what you know, right? It's what you actually put into practice. We have had cases um, where we've asked people to go through a support group first um, before they join a regular group. And we've done that where we've seen that that area of their life, because they've just had a, a sudden trauma, emotional trauma is just raw. And we just think, hey, you know, to be supported by other people who get your story and understand and going through this would yeah. be a, a good thing. Um, and they usually are thankful for that. But then sometimes we've had some pushback because they're like, you know, I just want to be in a regular people. Don't box me in and make me you know, a, grief, <laughs> a grief share person. Um, yes. Yeah. But don't, you know, this is more than, than this. But it's just, how do you manage that sort of discernment when people want to be in a group to decide, okay, which kind of group would be best for you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I think it helps to um, kind of step back and think of, you know, each and every one of us, unless you really grew up in a healthy church, it, you know, if you have, like my story is, it wasn't until I was an adult that I started engaging in these types of ministries. So I can remember the first time I went to a small group and how actually terrifying <laughs> that was, you know, and on the, on the surface I would calm and I was fine. But, um, 
inside you're asking them yourself a million questions. Okay, so now take that and and multiply it by a hundred, and and you have somebody who is being encouraged to go to a support group, or you know some sort of recovery group. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's threatening. It really is, and and when it's threatening in a part of your life that's already experiencing a lot of pain and brokenness and confusion. Um, I just have a lot of empathy and grace uh, for people who are in that spot because we've had the same thing where we, you know, quote unquote, air quotes, highly encourage somebody to join, uh, you know, our pastoral care ministries before they join a group or to go see a therapist or something. Yes. yes. And I just know um, that for some people, that's a quick decision. They say, oh, absolutely. Thank you for that encouragement. I needed that prompting. (laughs) Um, and for some people, you know, they, they look at you as if you've yeah. betrayed them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I just understand, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot going on underneath the surface in that. And so just to let people marinate a little bit and keep in a relationship with you, if that's at all possible, or whoever they're working with at the time, um, and shepherd them through that. Because it's a process. It's absolutely right. an acceptance process. That's a good point. I think it is really a case by case. So we don't have a hard and fast rule, but um, we usually use it as a resource. Sometimes we, they do both. Um, and that way that doesn't necessarily burden the regular group. Um, I've heard you mention this a couple times now. And for us that are not therapists, maybe you could kind of define and break this down a little bit. You talked about baseline um, mm-hmm. versus growth and what that is like. So uh, would you explain that a little more? What do you mean by baseline Absolutely. and what, what do you mean by us uh, moving, growing past that? Yeah. I okay, and you'll interrupt me if I get too nerdy, but the, <laughs> in in psychology um you look at um uh the the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic sure. Manual of Mental um, Health is what we use to diagnose people with mental illness. Um and uh since these social dilemmas is and really like mental illness is not something you can do a genetic test for. It's not something that shows up kind of overtly. Um, any of these are, are what we call sometimes a constellation of symptoms. So I'm experiencing this, this, and this, and, uh, you know, people who experience this, this, and this are what we would define as, um, you know, depressed or generally anxious, things like that. So in every single one of those diagnoses, um, you have an indicator that says this person has lost um, significant functioning in either socially or at work or in school. So there's a loss of function. So when, I, when I'm looking at somebody um, kind of in, in the world of psychology um, who approaches me for help, uh, the way I'm going to look at is, okay, what level of functioning have you lost? What relationships have you lost? Because that's individual uh, to each person. Because your level, absolutely. your baseline is different than my baseline is different than other people's. Yeah, so that's and that's exactly it. You have to look at somebody and say, how is this impacting you in the backdrop of your life? I can't say, okay, Carolyn, um, you should be able to do this based on these other ten people. That's not very fair. Right. Right. <laughs> But to say, okay, over the last three years, you've been experiencing this, and it has caused you, it's disrupted work, it's disrupted your friendships, it's disrupted your family. Okay, how do we get you back to baseline, back to where reasonably you should be? Um, Is that helpful? Yes. So in the church, okay, now for our small groups, we're not doing diagnostic tests on each other uh, with personality disorders, because that probably wouldn't be super helpful. But, (laughs) um, But the idea is that, you know, we're always talking about growth. 
um, right, a movement towards Jesus. So we're trying to encourage people in however way different churches do it, but towards growing to be more like Jesus. And is it that then the people's baseline, um, if they're in a regular small group, you would expect that to the whole thing to move up? That they would become more loving, more caring, more, you know, isn't that's the journey, right, for the spiritual yeah. growth part? Yeah, well, and actually, not to get too philosophical, but we would expect kind of the whole operating system to change. You know, uh, Paul writes to the Romans, uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so um, not just growth, but in the church world, I mean, you know, we're, we're looking for transformation, um, that, that things would change positively for you is kind of the way to simplify it. Um, whereas, yeah, in a support setting, we're looking to get you back to where you reasonably should be in terms of your relationships, your, you know, emotional, um, kind of makeup and all of those things. I wonder if in the church world, however, we tend to, um, think that everyone's baseline should be a certain thing. Yes. Yes. This is where, um, I think the, the benefit of working in the world of pastoral care um, and discipleship at the same time, because um, ultimately, if if I'm working with somebody with an addictive pattern to get them back to quote unquote baseline for them, or if I'm working um, with somebody who's leading leading a reasonable life and trying to help them find their spiritual next steps and grow in Christ, uh, like growth is growth. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and. And we have a tendency, you know, especially as our churches grow, to segment these things and to put them in different boxes when in reality, they have so much to benefit from one another. Um, and I think we, we mix them up like they are different things, when in reality, the dynamics that are necessary for each um, are very much the same. You know, so in, at our church, we... Our definition for spiritual growth, we talk about Philippians chapter 2, where um, we read, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ. And in Second John, when it says, you must live as Christ lived, you know, so we want to change our mind and our actions to be more like Jesus. Okay, so if I walk into, you know, a Christian AA group, or if I walk into a Christian life group or community group, um, that call is the same. It. Mm. You know, that definition doesn't change. It's just how we go about it and the conversations that we have are very different. How we invite people into the group looks very different. How we train our leaders looks different. Um, You know, the covenant that we have on the front end for what we expect from our group members, it looks different. But really the mechanics around what we're encouraging um, is it should be. (laughs) Ideally, it should be the same. That's true. That's a really good point. And then when you look at the life of Jesus, he yeah. didn't compartmentalize and go, okay, I'm, right now I'm on the healing part. So yeah. we're just going to do the healing part. Or right now, you know, this yeah. is between you and your friends or you and your parents. And so we're mm-hmm. going to deal with you and the, you know, you and the authority figures. It, it's mm-hmm. very much all whole and holistic, yes. right? So yeah. that makes more sense that, that you'd mm-hmm. be able to do both. I yeah. like that. Je- Jesus used healing to teach um, you know, and at the same time, uh, so he never separated discipleship and care, you know, or his healing ministry. They're the same thing. They happen at the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, we're not that good <laughs> that often. <laughs> Jesus is very but, good at multitasking. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he saved well, the world at the same time. <laughs> and he empowers his apostles to do the same, you know, and this is, 
um, where when I say there's a great opportunity, um, it's, it's sometimes risky business to encourage our small group leaders to help and support people kind of beyond the, uh, let's just say bread and butter, small group stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they do, and if we coach them well, while they're doing it, uh, they're going to grow like crazy. And so is their group. And, you know, if it's done well, of course, as you mentioned, kind of on the front end of the podcast, there's a lot of situations where that can go awry though. <laughs> yeah. A lot of challenges. Well, I think this might be a good, um, a point stopping point for us. I've asked John to be with me for part two of this conversation because as we were talking about this and planning for this podcast, we realized there was just so much valuable information that um, John could give us and for us to continue this conversation about how do we care for people um, in our groups that are in crisis, that are more needy, quote unquote. Um, and what does that even mean? Um, so we're going to have part two of this conversation with John Noto and um, and so I encourage you to um, tune into that. But for this one, for this podcast, we'll sign off. We thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, you can leave us a rating on iTunes, which helps other small group ministry leaders find us. And, John, you can connect with him um, on his Twitter handle or Facebook, Jonathan.noto, N-O-T-O, and also subscribing to his um, blog, unwavering.com. He's a terrific writer. You will enjoy that. And he also has a huddle in the Chicago area, and you can join him um, and other uh, pastors in that area. So um, stay tuned for part two, and thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.